I am my brother's keeper. I want you to notice what Alistair did. He was winning the race. Uh, he, was, he was set to win. He slowed down to help his brother. Not only did he, um, the other guy in the green, he came in first and won it out of nowhere. He carried his brother and then pushed him across before him. So his brother actually got second place and he got third. Are you with me? So, and I said that to say this, and there's a whole lot of ways I could go with this. The idea is that you never give up. And secondly, if you see your brother in need, don't let him give up. Don't let someone go to hell right beside you. Don't let them fall away while you stand there and do nothing. This guy was willing to forfeit the victory. He was willing to forfeit first place and take third. And probably, in fact, if you listen to his interview, he didn't even worry about that. He said he would have done it had it not been his brother for someone else. What you got to know today is that God has a purpose for what you're going through. The last three weeks, man, I have been a sick puppy. I'll tell you right now, I feel better in the last two days than I felt in three weeks. Amen? And I want to thank God. And I don't understand why we go through all the things that we go through, but I'll tell you this. There is a purpose behind everything we go through. Um, let me say this. When it comes to giving up, Marianne Rodmuck said this, Courage doesn't always roar. Sometimes courage is the quiet voice at the end of the day that says, I will try again tomorrow. Amen. It's not always the big roar. But I want you to understand that God has a purpose in everything that you go through. He has a, uh, there is a method to the madness that you and I are facing with every problem, with every difficulty we encounter. He uses these circumstances and these hardships and difficulties to form us into what we ought to be. You say, Pastor, you're just making an excuse. No, no, no. Jesus himself suffered some pretty severe hardships. If you look through the Bible, we're going to see that all of us have. So it's not common. The Bible says don't think that this temptation or this weakness or this trial is just for you, but everybody has their own set of circumstances, and everybody's got their own dilemmas, but God has already made a way of escape for everybody. Amen. I believe God sometimes allows hardships to come along so that we trust him in the middle of it. So I want you to look at the men and the women of the Bible. I look at Moses and the hardships that he went through when his whole people wanted to kill him and go back to Egypt. I think about Noah who had to build for 100 years to an unbelieving people. And, and then I think about the widows in the Bible that, that suffered and the disciples and Job and Jesus and Paul the apostle and who had this thorn in his flesh and it wasn't a physical thorn. Some say it was blindness. Some say it was other things. He said, but God allowed me to have this ailment so that I might not be exalted above measure. In other words, God has a way of bringing us down a notch or two if we get a little too big for our britches. Amen. So I want to tell you this, that you're going to be tempted to quit, but don't you give up. He has warned us that in this world, you will have problems. In this world, you will have tribulations. But he said in John 17, take heart. I have overcome this world. Amen.
He's living inside us. And if he's overcome the world, guess what? Troubles come, problems come, adversity comes, hardship comes. Jesus came to stay. They came to pass. No one gets through life without trouble. No one is immune or insulated from pain and hardship. It seems like every time we solve one problem, there's another one right around the corner. Doesn't it seem that way? But I want to tell you something. God's got a destiny for you. Jeremiah 29 11 says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Good thoughts and that not of evil to give you an expected end. You know what an expected end is? When we built this church, we had an architect draw some plans. We paid him $45,000 thousand dollars to do it they were about this thick when we he got done with that he declared to me with his seal that is what those woods out there on the corner of seven or 40 and coal rain that's what this is gonna look like when we get through this is the expected end now I'm gonna tell y'all there was a lot of hardship a lot of loss of hair a lot of loss of sleep, a lot of arguments with the bank, a lot of arguments with the construction company, with the utility companies, with City Hall, and everybody else. Are y'all hearing me? It wasn't easy, baby. But I'll tell you right now, on June 23rd, 2013, those plans looked, well, lo and behold, that was the expected end. And God says, I have thought about you, and I know what I've got in mind for you. And when you get through this bankruptcy, and when you get through this divorce, and when you get through this uh, imprisonment, or whatever it is, God says, I've got you looking just like this. Never give up. I don't care what you're going through, don't you give up. 1 Peter 4 and 12 says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to test you as though something strange has happened to you. <laughs> he said, But rejoice inasmuch as you are a participant in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Everybody wants his glory, as T.D. Jake said, but you don't know the story. He said, everybody sees the potter's house, and you see how 26,000 people or 30,000 people come together. He said, but you wasn't here when I was crying at night 30 years ago. You wasn't here when they all walked out. You wasn't here when this one quit, and this one lied, and this one ran a negative ad. Hello? Listen, troubles have a way of building our character. Remember the true character. I preached a message a while back. I don't remember the, time, the, the, the name of it, but I'll tell you this, that our true character is forged on the anvil of hardship and difficulty. Amen. It, the, listen, it's not the, the trees that never get any wind or any torrents of rain or anything like that that become mammoth oaks. No, no. It's the ones that have to endure the howling winds and the cold and the torrential downpour. It's the ones that get exposed to all the trouble that grow the strongest. Let me tell you something these bodybuilders can tell you, and you know I'm not one. You can look at that and tell that. But they understand they got to, they got to push hard. They got to try hard, and they feel like giving up, but they don't want to give up. And they demand so much more of their students and all of that. Why? Because they know that in order to be what you want to be, you're going to have to do what you haven't done. Well... Paul said that we know our troubles produce patience, and, and patience produces character. One has said that it's like jewels shaped with a hammer and the chisel of adversity. Sometimes God has to even use a sledgehammer, depending upon how hard-headed we are. 
Amen. Uh, listen, your circumstances are temporary, but your character is going to be there forever. Peter said, these troubles come to prove that your faith is pure. Let me tell you something. It's, it's not when you're on the mountain type, the top, that you've got to exercise grand faith. It's when you're in the valley and you can't see anything and you're dying of thirst in the valley and the enemy's all about you and sickness has taken your body and your family's walked out on you and some of your best friends have quit on you. It is in that place where you find that faith must be held on to. And if you can find that faith in that silent place, you'll find that he prepares a table before us in the very presence of our enemies and anoints our head with oil. Our cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life and we'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It is under pressure that your true character is revealed. I don't want you to tell me how great a Christian you are when you've got plenty of money in the bank. I don't want to tell, tell me how great a Christian you are when everything's going your way and somebody just gave you a shiny new car. But I want to see your face when everything goes to hell in a handbasket. I want to see your face when somebody cusses you. I want to see your face when everything goes wrong and you open up the mail and it's bad or the doctor's report is bad. I want to see what you look like then. I want to see if it's the quiet resolve when you hit your knee and you lay that bill before God and you say, I don't know how, but God's going to make a way. Uh, or if it's the report of the diagnosis where you say, I don't know what, but for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I didn't bring anything in this world. I ain't going to take nothing out. But if God is with me, I'll live. If God wants me to go home, I'll go home and be with him. But whether I live or whether I die, Paul said, I am the Lord's. So listen, don't tell me how great you are until you've been in the middle of hell itself. Don't tell me how great you are until you're in the middle when everybody walks out on you and they start questioning your, oh, I've been there. I've got the phone calls when people told me negative things about the church. I, I, I've had the people that put their arms around me and said, let's do it. And, and I did and they didn't and they're not here anymore. I've seen all that. Listen, don't tell me how great you are on the mountaintop. Tell me how great you are when you're in the mully grubs and when you're sitting in a, 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 a dung pile in an ash heap and scraping yourself like Job with pottery saying I don't know where you are God but you know the way that I take and when you've tried me I shall come forth as gold since God intends to make you like Jesus you're going to have to suffer some of the things like Jesus suffered here's what I want you to know our President Theodore Roosevelt said this Courage is not having the strength to go on. Courage is going on when you don't have the strength. Amen. Going on when you don't have the strength. Sheer will and faith. Sheer will and raw faith that says I'll put one foot in front of the other. I can't even see where I'm going anymore. But I'm going to keep on going because he knows the way that I've taken. Never give up! Look at your neighbor and say never give up. I want you to know here's the reason why you can never give up. Scripture bears out that God is near the broken. God is near to the broken. When you're hurting, God hurts. Amen. I find it all through the word of God. 
that, that when people are hurting, it moves God. You say, well, why does he let us go through that? Let me ask you this. Why do we allow our children to go through hardships? Why, why do we allow them to struggle trying to walk? Why do we allow them to struggle, uh, you know, in school and various things? Because they need that struggle. They need that resistance in order to learn. But God watches us. He watches over us. It's comforting to me to know that there is a purpose for which I, I'm going through this, and it's not just to, to go through it. My dilemma is not in vain, and even though I don't understand it completely, I have to sit here like Job and say, I really don't understand why I lost all 10 children in one day. I don't understand why all the sheep are gone, all the oxen and all the asses and all of my money and all of my reputation and everything I am and have is gone except who I am in God. And he says, like Paul, I count all those things but loss. I still know him. And though the skin worms devour this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God and not another at that last day. I'm going to tell you something Job held on. You might say, well, Pastor, that's pretty cruel. And if you read the end of the book, and I did, God gave him two times everything he had. And even his old friends that came and, and, and talked so mean to him and accused him of being wayward from God and sinning. The, the Bible says that they asked God to forgive them when they saw the turnabout. And God said to them, you go ask Job. And if Job will forgive you, I will. Woo! That lets me know God cares about me. He said, if Job will forgive you, then I will. Lord, I need to move on. God is near to the broken. Uh, he trusted God in the midst of it all. Your most profound and intimate experience with God will come when you're broken. I want to tell you some of my closest moments with God was when I was so hoarse, I couldn't even hear my own voice. When, when, when I, I was so sick sometime, I was fevered and didn't know what I was going to do. I, I remember several occasions in my life I felt closer to God. It was almost like I would step right off of earth into heaven instantly right now. And, and um, the closest moments and the most intimate times is when you're the most broken in your heart. You know why? Because you know then there ain't nothing you can do. If God don't help me, I'm not helped. Let me say this. Most uh, uh, Psalm 34 says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. I tried to tell y'all. 34 and 18, he's close to the brokenhearted and saves those that are crushed in spirit. Oh, goodness. He says um, the righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them. I think it's worth reading again. The righteous person may have many troubles. You know what righteous means? Right doing. But the Lord delivers them from some of them. No. He said he delivers them from all. Listen, when you feel abandoned and when you feel like you're out of options, you're seeing your darkest days and the person you counted on most has just walked out. This is when we learn to really pray authentically. The heart beat of the church is prayer and we get a hold of God and we realize that though my best friend just walked out my best friend Jesus said I am here and I'm not going anywhere <laughs> wherever you go I'm going to go with you I stick closer than a brother and lo I'm with you all the way to the end 
So what I want you to do is this. I want you to commit yourself to never quit. Never quit. You've seen these guys racing. Uh, you've ever been to the edge of exhaustion? Come on. Yeah, if you ever worked out with James or some of these guys, you've probably been there. Uh, push you to the edge where you, you, your muscles are shaking and, you know, oh, you know. I remember one time we was planking back there in this uh, fellowship hall, and, man, I'm trembling. He's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. We're doing the iron chair and all that stuff, and I'm thinking, man, this guy's ain't for me. I'm supposed to be preaching or something. Hey, let me tell you this. Never quit. When your body says, I got to, when, you, when your muscles don't want to, by raw faith and sheer determination and grit, pick your foot up and go one more time. Peter said, Lord, we've toiled all night long. We fished hard. We ain't taken nothing. We've already mended the nets. We've washed them. We've folded them to put away. And the Lord said, let down the net one more time. And Peter said, nevertheless... What, what, what does that mean? Nevertheless, even though I'm tired, even though we fished hard and we've already fished all these waters, they're not here tonight. They're not biting. We've mended the nets. We've washed it. We've done all of these things. But because you said so, I'll let down the nets one more time. Which means they might get torn. It means they might get ripped. It means they might get stuck on the rocks. It means I might bring them up empty again, but it also means I'm obeying the Lord and it might be a full net of fish. So, you know the story. It was a full net. It's going to take faith. I want you to understand what you're going through right now. It's going to take faith. Somebody say amen. amen. It's going to take faith. Hebrews, uh, let, me, let me try to say it like this. Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith heroes of the Bible. I don't have time to read it all. But there, we read things like this. By faith, you know, Abraham did this. And by faith, Sarah gave birth to a child when she was real old and uh, beyond childbearing years. And her husband, you know, way beyond childbearing years or, or, or childgiving years, all these things. By faith, this happened. By faith, that happened. By faith, the other thing happened. All the way down to, chapter, to, to verse 35, I believe. And the Bible says, and let, let me look at verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. Did you get that? They were still living by faith when they died. Now watch this. They did not receive the things promised. They didn't get their Cadillac. They didn't get their shiny new house, their KitchenAid mixer. They didn't get all that. He said they were still living in faith, still believing God for the promise, and died believing God. He said, they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on this earth. Do you know we're strangers here? Our citizenship's in heaven. So, so, so and we get on down through here, and, and at verse 35, we find something else. I, I, want you to, I just want you to see this. The Bible says in verse 35 of Hebrews 11, Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured. Watch this. Not accepting deliverance. In other words, they said, if you'll deny Christ, you can go. So they can't do it. Huh? Can't do it. I think it was Polycar. It might have been Ignatius, one of the early fathers, said uh, they was going to burn him at the stake. He was 
they, they, they tied him to the wood, and they said, if you'll just deny Christ, we'll set you free. He said, 80 and five years, I have trusted God. I will do no other right now. And they lit him up. And while his body burned, his soul found its way to the arms of the Lord. <laughs> he said, they, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourges and yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sown asunder, sown in two, torn in half. They were tempted. They were slain with a sword, wandered about in sheepskins, goatskins, being destitute and afflicted and tormented. He said, of whom the world was not even worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all of these having obtained a good testimony, what? Through faith, they did not receive the promise. When they had a horse here and a horse there and you're laying in the middle and they've tied them to your wrist and to your ankles, step back, all of a sudden grabbed two whips and popped them. And they took off and tore you in half. He said, now why did God allow that to happen? I want to tell you this. As soon as that guy's body ripped asunder, his soul landed in heaven. John the Baptist preached the gospel, the forerunner of Jesus Christ. They brought him to a guillotine, laid his head on the chopping block, wound the blade up high, and here it comes. His head rolled in the basket. And as his head rolled in the basket, he rolled into the streets of glory. Let me just, let me fix this for you. For some of you wondering, I don't understand, I don't get this. Let me say, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 13 tells me the trumpet of the Lord is going to sound. The dead in Christ will rise, and they which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet him in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. When the trumpet of the Lord sounds, guess what? That dead body, that burned body, that body that fell out of, you know, wherever, that body at the sea is going to meet with that spirit again, and we will live the endless ages in the presence of the Lord. Let me tie it up right here and tell you this. Here's why you can't give up. Victory is closer than you think. Victory is closer than you think. Listen, Thomas Edison, the inventor of the light bulb, said, many of life's failures are people who did not realize how close they were to success when they gave up. Don't give up on the brink of a miracle. Don't give up when six... I, I, did you know it's darkest right before the dawn? Did you know if you're a hunter, you realize this, it gets colder. I mean, some of you, you, you've been in the stand 30, 40 minutes already, and you done got bone-chilling cold. And you look at your watch, and you know it's going to get a little bit colder because it's about to be daybreak. It gets colder and darker just before the light shows up. Ooh, in your life. But you better go and stand with me if you will. Listen, failure's not falling down. Failure is choosing not to get back up. Failure is the only opportunity for us to begin again, said Henry Ford. And this time, more intelligently, I want you to get this. I want you to never confuse a single defeat with final defeat. 
And here's how I want to close this. Some of y'all know I'm an LSU fan. <laughs> Last night I watched a heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching, one second on the clock. It was a miracle. We had played pretty bad all night, but we stayed close enough. Got to think, Auburn ain't won a home game in two years. We were in their house. Our defense had held them to nothing but field goals. Our defense was shining. Our offense was sputtering. But we kept it close. It was in two or three points, five points. Last play of the game, one second left on the clock, one second. They snapped the ball. Our quarterback rolls out. He's almost sacked for a loss. He's running toward the sideline as hard as he can run, and just before he gets out of bounds, the ball. We have a wide receiver in the back of the end zone. He catches the ball. I'm thinking, don't drop it, don't drop it, don't drop it. He caught it. He drug his feet. He fell. He held on to the ball, secured it. The announcers, I can't believe it. LSU has struck back. They have won. They have won. I went crazy. I called my son Andrew. We're hollering. We're shouting. He's on a time delay of one minute, so I have to wait a minute to shout with him. But in the minute I wait for him to catch up, they said, the ref said, touchdown. They looked. He secured the ball. They said, no problem with that. He caught it. He secured it. He got his feet down. But wait, 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 wait. They're sending this for review in Birmingham. We believe the clock struck zero before the center snapped the ball. After further review, they looked, and I, all of a sudden, Jordan-Hare Stadium went crazy. I told Andrew, we just lost, brother. They overturned it. The officials in Birmingham looked at it, and they said the clock was one second, zero seconds, and then the ball moved. The game was over. The touchdown doesn't matter. I'm sick, but it don't matter. Auburn wins the game, and we go home a loser. Here's what I want to tell you. What you say you're going to do for Jesus Christ, oh, I'm going to get right with him one day. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'm, I'm going to get right with God. I'm going to fix it. I, I, I'm going to do it. Let me say this. What you do, one tick after the trumpet of the Lord sounds, or what your family tries to do for you, one tick after your heart beats the last time and there's no brain movement. You might think it's a grand celebration, but when the officials up top look and they say, time had expired, and that last play don't count anyway, you are a loser, eternally a loser. I want to tell you something, friend. We shouldn't have been in that spot. We should have took care of business before we had to, 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 to wait on the last one second. And I want to tell you right now, likewise today, you ought to take care of business before that last one second. You can give your heart to God this morning and be baptized in the next hour. If you're here today and you're struggling, let me tell you, Christian friend, don't you never give up, ever. I don't care who walks out on you. I don't care what they said, what Facebook, Twitter, anybody else said. Don't you never give up. And listen, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord is your personal Savior, no one's looking around, it's just me and you, I want you to put your hand in the air right now. How about you, sir, ma'am, anybody? Pastor, please pray for me. I would embarrass you for nothing, but I sure don't want you to go to hell. God bless you, sir. Hallelujah. He said, somebody else will find the courage. 
Somebody else will find the courage to say, Pastor, please, please pray for me. God bless you, sir. Somebody else, God bless you, ma'am. Somebody else, and you, ma'am. Four people. Somebody else, how about it, sir, ma'am? Anybody? I don't want to give up on you. He don't want to give up on you either. Listen to me, friend. Listen. If you're here right now and you say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me for salvation. You've already raised your hand. I'm going to do that. I want to encourage you, if you would. Would you just step out from where you are and just walk right down this aisle? We've got room on the left of this pool and on the right. I wouldn't embarrass you for nothing, I promise you. I ain't going to make you come up here and say nothing or whatever. But listen, if we're ashamed to confess him before our friends, he's ashamed to confess us before the Father. How about it, sir, ma'am, friend? Four or five people raise their hand. Won't you just, I promise, here's the deal. The first one steps out, others will probably start walking. Thank you for your courage. Somebody else? Come on, well, let's just go ahead and give them a hand. What better decision have you ever made in your life than to make a decision for Jesus Christ?